What's up, Painless Flipping Podcast listeners? Before we dive into today's episode, I've got something special for you. Recently, I had the pleasure of joining an amazing podcast, and I wanted to share that conversation with you all. It's a fantastic discussion you won't want to miss. So without further ado, let's jump into that crossover episode and hear what we had to say. Enjoy. You're checking out the Investor Shed Podcast with Nick Beveridge and Jeremy Kitchen. They're on the path to financial freedom, and they're taking their community with them. Stay tuned for the best free real estate investing advice on the internet. Welcome to the Investor Shed Podcast. My name is Nick Beveridge here with Jeremy. I've got a little cold kitchen. How are you? I'm doing so good, Nick. Other than I got a little bit of a cold right now. How are you? Just a little wee bit. <laughs> Doing good. I, I do not have a little bit of a cold right now or a flu or anything like that. But I'll tell you what I do have. I've got a hat just like you and I've got a black shirt just like you. And we also have Nathan Payne on our podcast today. Absolutely do. It was so cool to talk to Nathan today. Uh, Nick, can you tell us a little bit about what Nathan brought and um, what we're, people will be looking forward to see? Yeah. So Nathan runs a wholesale uh, training company and uh, he's also a coach, uh, investor, uh, he gets into his story about how his business been, his business has been the last few years, where he got started. A lot of good stuff, a lot of good nuggets. Uh, we talk about social media, how he's able to grow that presence, just being consistent. Um, and, uh, you know, it's the day after Christmas. He's on vacation. Unfortunately, we only had a half hour. He had to get out and go hang out with his wife, which I don't blame him at all. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just get right into it, shall we? What kind of food? What kind of food do people need today, Nick? Uh, yeah, before we get into this podcast, I want everybody to go grab the candy canes that they have left off their tree. Suck on them. Here we go. All right, Nathan Payne, welcome to the Investor Shed Podcast. Glad you're here. Thanks for coming. Day after Christmas. How are you feeling today? Man, I feel really good. I woke up early and I'm just getting right back into it. I, I you know, doing my morning routine. I mean, Christmas is awesome, but I feel like when you get older... It's just like, it's not another day, but it's, I mean, it's, it's not as big as when you were kids, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I know. It just gets in the way of work. <laughs> just because it's a bank holiday too, doesn't mean we can't work. It doesn't mean we can't uh, find the next property we're looking for too. So that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Technically it is a holiday. So thanks for coming on board. Yeah, no, I appreciate you having me. Yeah. So Nathan, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what kind of deals you like? Uh, start with just kind of your background and how you got into real estate investing. Yeah, so I started real estate investing four years ago. I was, uh, you know, had no prior knowledge to real estate whatsoever. I was from a door to door sales background, but my roommate in college, he was doing lease options and seller financing. And so, you know, he, through college, he was always like, hey, man, come and do this. And I was like, no, nah, man, I'm doing door to door. I'm doing really well. I'm running a team. And, uh, you know, after, after college, I, uh, didn't really want to do door to door anymore because it was like it's a transient lifestyle. You always have to be bouncing from place to place. Good money, but I didn't want to do it anymore. So I called him up. I said, "Hey, let's uh, let's go right into let's go right into real estate, man. Let's let's do it." And he was all about it. So he quit his job, and I quit mine, and we went right into it. Gotcha. What what were you selling door to door? I was doing Dish Network, satellite TV. Gotcha. How how long were you doing that? And was that like draining or taxing on your mental state? Um, yeah, it's pretty it's pretty intense stuff. I I would say like you you not a lot of people do it year round. They do it for like spurts of like four or five months in the summer or in the fall. 
So I started, at, so I went on a two-year mission for my church where I was knocking doors and talking to people about Jesus. And then right after I got back from my mission when I was 21, I went to college. Then I started doing door-to-door sales from like 22 to until I was like 26. So what is that, like four years, five years? Okay, gotcha. So you already had some experience, like the the process of like knocking on strangers' doors wasn't necessarily an issue for you like it is so many people. Yeah. You got some training. No, it wasn't. I, it was something that like, yeah, it came natural to me just to randomly talk to people about us, uh, things that they probably didn't want to talk about. Yeah. Cause I know I, I I've done sales in the past before I got into real estate sales and I know, um, it, man, everything, everything else, like, it seems like other than real estate, you actually have to push on people and real estate's like the only sales jobs I've ever had where there's no pushiness needed at all. Yeah, that I was actually surprised. I thought I came into real estate because I was like, man, I'm a great salesman. You know, I thought it was I thought it was really good, and I was cocky too, uh, which was probably bad. Probably, probably <laughs> I was I was good in the industry of door to door, and uh, came into wholesaling and real estate, and I was like, man, this is completely different. So I had to like get John Martinez sales training. I had to get Franklin Covey sales training. I was just training like nonstop because I wasn't I couldn't convince anyone to sell their house to me at a discount. I couldn't I, I couldn't figure out why it wasn't working. I was like, man, what's going on? But then I found out that's it's not how it works in this industry. You don't convince people. Right. Training goes a long way for sure. Yeah. So most of that, what did that training kind of teach you is just how to go out there and find the right people to talk to? Yeah. How to find the right people, how to present options, um, how to, you know, basically like not like find out if you're the right fit for them. Right. So I guess in, in essence to what you said, yes, that's correct. Find the right people. That's awesome. And um, just, I want to touch on your wholesaling a little bit, Nathan. So obviously you do run a successful wholesaling business. Can you tell us what that's like and how you grew that business to what it is today? Yeah. So the, the business actually changed since the market shift. I mean, as you guys know, you got to pivot your businesses with the way the, the, the market is. So I had a, at the beginning of the year, I had a successful wholesaling business. We were doing like six figures every month and uh, we had acquisition managers, dispositions, you know, the, the whole thing, leads managers, VAs. And then the market shift happened and our market tightened up in Utah pretty tight. And uh, our VAs weren't getting as, our, we were using virtual assistants for acquisitions managers and they weren't getting as many deals as they were, they used to be getting and not big enough spread. So we had to, we actually had to go really lean and I had a business partner at the time and I was like, Hey man, like we're going really lean. There's really no reason for me and you to split everything 50, 50, like, you know how to do the business. I know how to do the business. Let's just separate. So we split. And now I just run my business with three virtual assistants and uh, uh, acquisition guy and commission. And it's, it's a lean business and the overhead's like super low. Right. Hey, so I'm, I'm always curious, like when you have a business partner um, in the wholesaling business, what, what kind of responsibilities does one partner have versus the other? That was kind of the problem. Like when we first started, the we got basically it was like emotional support in the very beginning. Like we both didn't really know what we were doing, so we were like, "Hey, let's do this together." And we both did the acquisitions. We both did pretty much deals, but together, right? And then as as we grew, it was like, "Well, shoot, you know, what's what do we do?" So you know, over the last couple of years that we were together, we were always switching roles, trying to find out which one would be better fit for one, you know, marketing, one guy would be in charge of sales and dispositions. And eventually like I, it became apparent that I was like just better at sales. So I was over the sales team and doing acquisitions and he was over just the management and, uh, you know, marketing. And, you know, that's kind of how we did it until the end 
we ended things. Right. Yeah. What I, I've been in a lot of partnerships and what I've discovered over time was that, that no partnership is ever going to be fair and you just got to be, you got to know that going in. But what most people don't know is like what responsibilities are, are, are the partners actually going to be in charge of, are they going to be in charge of the same thing? Cause then you got a problem there and are the, the personality fits, like, are they more of an integrator? Are they more of a visionary? Um, there's so much that goes into a strategic partnership and most people, I feel like they just, they both have an interest in something. Hey, let's partner up and do it. And then they find out later, uh, it, it's not necessarily a great fit because of their personalities or anything, but just it, it's a, it's a functionality flaw, like who's actually in charge of what, and is that person good at it enough for it to be worth like a 50, 50 split? It, it's kind of a, a tough thing to figure out long-term. Yeah. Yeah. When we first started, we didn't know anything about integrators, visionaries, any of those roles. So w once we got deeper into this stuff and started becoming better at business, we were like, dang, dude, we're both visionaries. You know, like w no one's really an integrator here. We both just want to, we have a great ideas and we want to make them happen. And, uh, we went to a, a mentorship with Jerry Norton, who's one of my mentors. And, uh, he, was telling us, he's like, Hey, you gotta be careful in business partnerships that one plus one doesn't equal one, which that was the case for us when we first started. And then as we got deeper into it, we were better at, you know, complimenting each other, but most of the time one plus one equals one in the beginning. That's definitely true, but not always. Um, but for the most part, because most people don't have experience until they know what they know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, tell me if you don't mind, can we get into, um, you're obviously big on social media. Um, was that something that, um, kind of took off quickly or was that a slow build over time? And can you, can you tell us, um, how you were able to grow your presence on online? Yeah. So I, I had no aspirations or interest in social media, but I started doing a lot of JV deals just here and there. Uh, and I was talking to one of my, men another mentor of mine, Brandon Simmons, and he's like, Hey man, you can, you can do a lot of business through JVing and just helping others. And he, he had a, he had a business, uh, a mastermind called the go-giver in Arizona. And he, he met like a ton of people, done a lot of business with people out there. So he was like, you should start a Facebook group and that you should do JV deals. And I was like, okay. So my goal and getting on social media was to do more deals, uh, but to give back. Cause I understood that like, Hey, if I'm going to do deals, I need to be able to provide value. So that's what I did a year ago. I just started a Facebook group, started making trainings and showing people how to do stuff, hoping to get deals and deals started coming. And then I, uh, had a desire. I was like, man, I spent so much money on coaching. I spent so much money trying to tr like learn this business. And I feel like it's a lot of the coaching out there is very expensive and they don't give you the support you need. So I was like, I can give all the support. I have the time and I can do it for, you know, a way better deal. So that's kind of how I got bigger on the social media said, and it wasn't just sudden and it's not even, I don't even feel like I'm that big. It's just a gradual, I've been posting on social media platforms every day for the last year. Cause that's just what they tell you. Consistency is the key. So um, yeah, that, that's kind of how it started. I wanted more deals and I knew how to get bigger was to help out. Gotcha. Well, I mean, I know it doesn't sound huge, but like you've only been doing this a year and I, I know on, on YouTube, you already have 10,000 subscribers. Um, how, how are you able to make that work? Like in just a year, 
I'll be straight with you guys. So I had, before I got 10,000, I had like 700 subscribers and I met with this company that was like, Hey, you're never going to organically grow your Instagram or your YouTube viewers unless like you have help. So I was like, Oh, okay, well let's do it. Then like, how can you do it? So like we have real people that will subscribe to you. So I was like, okay, let's try it. And then I found out that the real people were real people, but they were just like paid people and India and all that stuff. So a lot of my subscribers, I'd say a majority of them are not, are real, but they're not like legit. And, and I thought that'd be fine because I was like, okay, let's get some, let's get some viewers on here. Let's get some, I guess the credibility, you could say fake credibility and people will start subscribing, which it did work. But also once I got monetized, it crushed my analytics because half of the fake people like are in India or whatever. So now it's yeah, they're like, not watching your stuff. They're not watching the stuff. And if they do, it's showing YouTube, showing the stuff to the wrong audience. So uh, if I would have done it again, I probably wouldn't have done it like that. And Jerry Norton actually was like, dude, don't, after I did it, he's like, what are you doing? Don't do that. I was like, I didn't think about it. So yeah, to, just to shoot you guys straight. I yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting, obviously. Um, cause I'm, I'm kind of new in the social media game. I've been trying to go on Instagram and TikTok a little bit more than YouTube, but I do see that YouTube is a big place for people to be, obviously, especially with YouTube shorts and everything right now. Um, it, it's a great place to have content for sure. So huge, huge lead gen, right? It's like a Jerry Norton told me it's, I keep talking about him, but this what I guess this is the topic we're on. He's, it's just a giant funnel, right? Like what YouTube and social media is, it's a funnel that pushes people to a specific platform that you want, whether you want them to bring deals, whether, you know, you want to coach them. It, that's, that's what it is. And, and growing organically now it's very difficult because of the paid ads that Instagram or back in the day, you could organically grow a lot on Instagram, but it's like, they're not going to push you. They're going to push people who are going to pay. And that's why they have paid ads. So it, it's difficult to grow organically now, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Like, I've got a YouTube channel that I've been running for 12 years <laughs> since I got into real estate. And I've only been really, since Jeremy came on board, really kind of more purposeful about putting good content on there for maybe the last three, three, four years now. Yeah, something like that. And we've, I've grown to 181 uh, subscribers. Getting it. <laughs> it's it's pathetic. But, but you know, if you look at the analytics, like, a lot of people are watching. Um it's just, it, it, it just boggles my mind. Like how do people get like 500,000 subscribers in just a couple of years? And like, are they legit? How much media do they have to be pumping out? And are they on all everything like TikTok and Instagram and all that stuff? And how do they even manage their own business and try to go grow that social media? Yeah. And for me, what I do for my content is I, most of it is lives that are like, I'm actually working and I just, cut it up into content with my video editor. But uh, just to kind of give you an idea on how to grow your YouTube channel, I hired a YouTube coach that grew, grew Chris, Co Chris Crone's channel and Noel Randall and a bunch of other uh, big people that have like 500, 700,000 subscribers. And he's got a specific strategy that he's taught me that I'm implementing on my YouTube channel. You can see uh, that's actually working very good. It's getting me on searches. It's getting me on the browse channel, which is essentially how you grow. You have people search the topic that uh, you make, right? So if you, I, when I started my YouTube channel, I was making videos that I thought people would be interested in, like, hey, watch me call seller, right? But if you look at the analytics on YouTube, if you actually do research and say, what are people searching in my industry? You would, you make a YouTube video after what's being searched and then 
that's how you actually grow. And I didn't know that. It's obvious. It's it's common sense, but I didn't know that until he showed me, and that's what we've been doing. Gotcha. Um, how long have you been uh, training wholesalers? It's been this this year. This year I've been doing it. Yeah, I started started Investor Thrive this year seriously. Okay. And um, has that uh, spit off any revenue for you so far? Are you still in the growth stage? Um, I think right now we're we're break even after investing in you know coaches to help me do it, and you know it's actually an intense business. Like you got, there's a lot of softwares and services in it. And, uh, again with Jerry Norton, he's like, I was talking about coaching. He's like, Hey man, this is another, it's a whole nother beast. Like it's a, it's a marketing business pretty much. Like that's, you got to get your message out there and, and, uh, yeah. So break even at the moment and, uh, done some deals from it, which has been cool. I'm actually, man, this one's crazy. I was supposed to close on a deal last week with a student for $19,000 and we were going to, in my program, I give them 60% and I take 40 on a JV deal. And uh, the, this is what the, the buyer told me, which I'm pretty tight with the buyer. He said he wired the money, $200,000 to close on the deal, but someone had hacked the, uh, the email of the title agency and they wired the money to the wrong, to, to a fraudulent account. So they just sent $200,000 to whoever they don't know, whatever. And the, and the seller, and the seller's like, doesn't know if they believe that or not. So they're like, we ain't going to wait around. So it's just, a, it's just a mess. Wow. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. You got to watch out for that stuff. I know I, our title companies, like every time we open escrow, they always send out that email first. Like, Hey, watch out for, we're never going to email you with wiring instructions. Right. Live and learn on the deals. <laughs> Some creative con artists out there. <laughs> and he had, he had like an assistant that did it. That looked like, you know, she's like, oh, look legit. And so, whew. Ooh. I hope they can figure it out, but not good on her resume. Yeah. Yeah. That's wild. <laughs> he's, he's, but yeah, so I'm doing deals, but unfortunately it's crazy stuff happens sometimes. Yeah. Now, Nathan, you, uh, you do a lot of wholesaling. Do you do any buy and holds as well? Or do you particularly, uh, just work on wholesaling and getting other people to deal so you can get the quick cash? Mostly quick cash because over the last four years, in order to maintain a wholesaling business and keep employees, we've had to like churn and burn pretty much everything, which like looking back, everyone's like, man, I wish I could keep 10% of the stuff that I did. But the problem with the just owning a wholesaling business is if you have a lot of employees in order to keep the engine running, you got to pretty much sell everything and it's hard to keep stuff. You got to put that coal in the fire for sure. Singing to the choir, man. I spent the last like couple of years with just employees growing this construction business to fuel my, you know, flipping and spec home building business. And it was just, um, I, I would have been better off if I didn't do anything for the last two years. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy, bro. Yeah. Employees can be expensive. Um, and it's funny, you want to do the right thing and you think you're doing the right thing and you're, you're, you're taking advice from people that are making money and, and um, it just seems like a vicious cycle sometimes. And you're just like, you're just relying upon what the market does sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I got rocked by the market. I had like three flips going that haven't sold. So we had to refinance out of one. It's We have two other ones we're trying to figure out. So it's, it's, it sucks. I mean, we, we were doing really well during the last two years and before it was fine, but now it's like, okay, pivot. What do we do now? And I think that there's a lot of people in that situation. So, so do you, um, do you assign most of your deals or do you, um, do you close on them and then flip them? Assign most majority of the deals. And during the last, over the last two years, uh, we were wholetailing a lot. So we were closing and just relisting them and making good money. But 
again, that's that strategy's kind of out. Yeah. So what um what what's worked best for you for getting leads um for your wholesaling business? So I right at the moment I leverage my this is not something everyone can do, but I leverage my community and like my social media and I get free leads, but from other services like cold calling, I'll say, Hey, let me promote your cold calling business. Let me get, I'll give free, give me free leads and we'll rev share once I close. So I get a lot of free leads now, like home light. Um, that's another good one. But when, when we were paying more, I mean, cold calling, texting was always good. Pay-per-click has always been good, except in it's it's a double-edged sword sword with pay-per-click it's very expensive so if you don't convert you're pretty much done <laughs> so now when you're pulling lists for your wholesalers too nathan um are you looking for things with high equity low equity are you looking to find seller finance deals or are you just looking for um you know a lot of people that have a lot of equity so they can close and you know you can make a quick buck and they can make some money too Usually high equity, high equities combined with pretty much any list is, is a good move. Like absentee owners are always the tried and true vacant absentee owners. Cause you know, they're, they don't live there. They have no attachment. If, if you're trying to market to people that live in the home, it's obviously a little bit more tricky cause you got to get them out of there. But uh, yeah, so high equity is the key usually. And then right now the play is seller finance in my opinion, because you know, people, aren't able to sell. Right. So they're going to probably be more open to taking terms. And, uh, that's something we're going for now as well. Yeah. Seller finance subject to, uh, do you ever, um, jump on to subject to opportunities or anything like that? Yeah, I've done a couple and that's actually one, one we're in. Oh gosh. It's one we have right now that hasn't sold that we have on subject to that. Uh, we, uh, we, we pretty much like told the, the seller like, Hey, um, we'll, we'll flip this with you. Uh, you know, we'll take care of the payments and we'll, we'll finance you fix up the place. He agreed. And then he, he didn't fix up the place. So, and <laughs> the house is now worth less. Oh, you're going to have the seller fix up the place. Yeah. Yeah. He's a contractor. So he was a contractor and he's like, dude, I know this house is worth way more. I just need the money to fix it up. And we're, we're like, okay, fine. You know, we'll take over the payments. You fix it up, get out of there and uh, we'll sell it. But, you know, he didn't fix it up. He didn't get out of there. And now we're like, you know, the house is worth less than obviously. Well, at the beginning of the year, it would have been fine, right? Because it, it was like worth 580 Now the house is, we got, we, I think we bought it for around like 520 and it needed a little bit of work. But now it's like worth like 500 especially because he didn't fix it. Uh, so do you have a good idea? Like how much more money is needed to fix it? What it could rent for? And could you keep it long term as a hold? If you boot them out? Uh, so the problem is that the balloon payment that we agreed to him on was short. It was very short because we're like, hey, you know, if you fix this up in two months and then we only need about three months to sell it. So we're pretty much like up at that balloon payment and uh, where it's like, hey, we need to pay him out, right? Oh, okay. Even though he voided his agreement? Yeah. And so that's now it's like a legal thing. It's like, okay, is, is, is the contract void because he didn't even, he took our money, didn't fix it up and didn't move. Like, do we have to perform on our balloon payment? And now there's no equity there. Yeah. And the thing is, it's interesting because he owes like two, 200,000 on the house. So there's, there's quite a bit of equity on his end, but with us, there's really no equity. And the payment on the property is like super low. It's like a thousand bucks and it rents for like 2,500 over there. So we could boot them out and uh, just, you know, evict them and let's go to battle for a year or two and then just rent the property out. But I don't know. I've just, this has been a weird one where I didn't want to like kick them out and 
even though I feel like he deserves it. It's just a weird, it's a weird feeling. Cause it's like, I could kick you out, but, uh, I don't know. It's a weird, I, I haven't made move on it. Kicking up. Is, um, is Utah, is it a judicial foreclosure state, Nate? That's, is that where you have to wait like 90 days and everything? Uh, judicial foreclosures where you have to go through the court systems actually, if you're going to be evicting somebody. You know what you do, but this, I heard something like, this is a different situation since this isn't bank owned. It would be him foreclosing on me, which he's not a bank. So I'm not sure what the process would be. Um, we're trying to figure out what to do. Cause I really just want my money back. I put in, I put in a closing costs and I gave him 20 K down to put towards repairs, but he didn't spend it on the repairs. Obviously he just pocketed it. So if I can just have my 24 K back, I'd be great. And I got that from a loan from someone. So it's potential. It's potential that uh, potentially that person could foreclose on me and get their money back. So that's probably what we're going to do. <laughs> it's all going to run downhill, right? Like <laughs> somebody's got to get paid. Yeah. Cause I think he's going to try and foreclose on me and be like, Oh, you didn't fulfill your agreement. And I think if we went to court and said, Hey, this guy didn't follow his end, the contract, unfortunately I'm not an attorney. So it's not very clear. Like most contracts aren't like if you have to go to court, you know, like, Hey, right. Yeah. Yeah. There's ambiguity for sure. Exactly. We put a scope of work in everything, but our contract also says that it's like buy as is. So people could, they could be like, well, no, you said you'd buy it as is. So why is there a scope of work? Anyway, I think we'll probably get foreclosed on, get my money back, and I don't know, guys. It's crazy. I don't even know how I got talking about this, but... Hey, this, it's, it's interesting hearing about this story, right? And you also got to be so careful about this kind of stuff, too, because he is, like, it sounds like it's his primary occupant, or his primary... It is, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, the, there's potentially Dodd-Frank that you have to deal with, too. You know, you could be in violation of the Dodd-Frank Act, given a loan on somebody's personal residence, if it's looked at as a loan. Are you talking about I could call Dodd Frank or enact them, talk about that on his end or my end? No, I mean I think that puts you in a bad spot um, because you're not a licensed lender. I I think the Dodd Frank, as far as I know, it was it's if you have the property, you own it, and you set you sell to someone on subject to, and you know they can't qualify, then you're in trouble. But I didn't sell. He he, he sold it to me, right? So I'm the buyer. So so do you own the property? I do own the property. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. It might be a little different. It's still worth, worth talking to an attorney. Yep. Yeah. It, I, I think the problem <laughs> is with the Dodd-Frank Act, whatever you call it, the, it, you can potentially be in trouble if you didn't purchase the home in an LLC. If it's like a, if you bought in my own name, but I bought in my company's name. So I think like, yeah, there's, there's weird stuff. I got to talk to an attorney about it. So I think it, 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 the only reason I brought that up, I wasn't sure if it was in his name still or your name still. It's, it's in my name now. It's in the LLC's name. So I so I don't think that would apply then. I wish it would, though, because then I could say, hey, this guy sold to me and didn't even see if I could qualify. Right. Yeah. We didn't go through anything, right? And this kind of goes to show, like, real estate isn't just always, like, sunshine and rainbows, as most people think. I mean, a lot of people can see real estate investing from the outside in, think, like, oh, this is just the easiest thing in the world. It's not always easy. Uh, you got to make hard decisions sometimes. And, and that's what I try to convey like on all my content is like complete transparency. Like, Hey guys, like whole, having a wholesaling business in my opinion is not like the end all be all goal. I, that's not my goal. I don't think that should be anyone's goal uh, unless you guys love doing that. But uh, I think the goal is to create like a, you know, get assets, create passive income and grow your business. Um, but I, I tell people like, Hey, if you, 
being a wholesaler, it's past it's active income. It's very, you have to work. As soon as you stop working, you stop getting deals. So it's, it's not as luxurious as I think people think it is. You get big checks and you can make good money, but I don't think it should be portrayed as like, Oh yeah, this is easy. Cause it's, it's a grind. Yeah. Yeah. I've always believed that wholesaling was an advanced strategy <laughs> and, and it should be kind of like a last resort too, not a first, first resort. Um, just because I, I think the real money's made in holding. And, um, and from, I've seen a lot of people over the years, uh, get into wholesaling as kind of their launching pad. And then they eventually get into, uh, buying rental properties. And that's kind of always that that's, they make the active income so that they can reinvest, um, into, into something that's more stable and, um, will build wealth over time. I mean, there's, there's a reason why they say the rich flip, but the wealthy hold. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you hundred percent. Like, I think if you get into this just to wholesale and that's all you're going to do, well, you're going to be busy. Yeah. Then you just bought yourself, you bought yourself a high risk job. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. So Nathan, you did talk about, this isn't your plan forever, obviously. Uh, what is your plan going forward? So do you have a five-year plan for where you want to be in the next five years? So I really, I'm really passionate about what I'm doing at Investor Thrive. Like I'm building a community that's like a really affordable program for people to get in and get started. And I believe that my program, like within the next five years, will be like one of the biggest uh, coaching communities out there. Just because I provide everything a wholesaler needs. I provide like a buyer's list nationwide, wherever state they're in, a buyer's list leads. I give them all the contracts, like everything they need, daily coaching calls. I bring in experts from other industries to teach. So I don't have to just be the only one they're listening from. I like, I want to bring in commercial. Uh, I have a bunch of people coming in teaching about things that they're experts on. So like my goal is to like create like a community that supports new, new people and maybe people that are trying to get consistent. I think that that's something I want to do long-term because I remember getting started. I was really frustrated after dropping five, 10, $20,000 on coaching and not feeling like I got what I needed um, necessarily or the support I wanted. So I was like, dude, I can, I can make that for people. Yeah, I totally, totally think that's awesome. Um, so right now, if somebody wanted to join your program, do they have to be in Utah or could they be anywhere in the U S it's all, it's all virtual. Um, we do meet in once a month in Utah for like a, a free mastermind meetup. So anyone can come to that. But, uh, if you sign, if you go to investorthrive.com, you sign up my programs month to month as well. So you can check it out. If you don't like it, I give a 30 day money back guarantee. So if you join and you're like, Hey, this, this month sucked and this stuff's is trash. Then be like, all right, great. Here's your money, bro. I don't, I don't need it. So that's, uh, that's like something where people can go and check it out. Gotcha. Okay. Well, if somebody did want to just jump on board, um, what, what can they uh, expect to pay and, um, and how long do you think they should stay in the program? Um, I personally think the program is good uh, as it's almost like a dual purpose mastermind, right? So like you, you get not only all the resources, the materials you need, but you get around people who are action, like takers, go givers, so I would say like stay in as long as you're in the business. I mean, it's super cheap. It's uh, $2.97 a month. And uh, yeah, month to month, you get people who are doing deals all over the country so you can leverage other wholesalers. I've done multiple deals. Uh, I give away leads that came from my wholesaling business. So I have about 180,000 leads that I give away every month. I give about 10,000 a month away. And I say, hey, look, these leads are already skip trace and a uh, thousand of the 10,000 I give away have been talked to. They just need to be uh, followed up with. 
and uh, I give those out. There's people doing deals from those. Um, I'm still doing deals from them. And uh, yeah, so that's they can expect to pretty much get everything they need. And the leads alone probably cost me like a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars. Oh, easy, easy from just those leads. So if you join, you get leads by buyers list. I spent fifty thousand dollars on buying it and building it. I networked with you know Nick Perry and a bunch of other nationwide wholesalers, and I give that list out one state to people that join. So if you want to build a have your buyers list grow, well, you get it as long as you're in the program. I love it. That's good stuff, man. Cool. So you're telling me you don't have to, if you want to be a, a new investor, go spend 40 grand on a seminar <laughs> that's up after two weekends. And then you're just kind of, st- I don't know how people do that. Dude, they do it all the time. I can't believe it. Like how, First of all, like no offense to anybody that runs those 40 K seminars, but like, how do you sleep good? Like, you know, half the people that pay for that are going to not be able to do it. No. Yeah. Oh, they, they fill their, they stuff their mattresses with cash and it, it just feels better. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I mean, I, so I talk to people all the time that want to join the program. And I talked to this lady who works for like Kellogg cereal or something. And she joined a $20,000 fortune builders, uh, with, a full-time job and it's like been a year and she's like, look, I'm just working overtime to pay that off. I'm like, and she thinks it's, I don't know how it was pitched to her, but maybe that she, it was easy. I'm like, Oh no. Well, I've been, I've been to a lot of these seminars. I, I haven't signed up for a real expensive one yet, but it's a great place to go meet and network with, um, you know, seasoned or new investors. So that's why I always go. Um, but they're like fortune builders, they'll put on a, they'll come to your town with a free seminar. You show up, and then they convince you to spend just 200 bucks and it will give you a full weekend of how to flip a house and you can bring a spouse or whoever bring, bring an extra person. So it's like a hundred bucks person. And then they spend the whole weekend brain, like not really brainwashing you, but like really doing a good job of doing this perfectly uh, orchestrated dance to convince you. They nurture you. If you do not invest in this, scholarship <laughs> this tw- that could range from 20 to 60 grand you know there's different packages you can get then you're just not going anywhere in life yeah that's crazy and every time i go i'm just like shoot i gotta i should sign up for this even though i know like i already i know how to flip a house <laughs> like i don't i know how to build you know be connected to a community and i've got the resources i but it's just it's an amazing um you know it's like a timeshare meeting type of thing only it lasts a whole weekend they get you fired up they give you just just enough education um for you to realize that there's a lot to this business and you need to be mentored mentored and and they make 40 grand seem like it's nothing because they make so much money in this business it's 40 grand is nothing and and it it can be for some people but for most people 40 grand is a lifetime uh savings i know yeah yeah, it's kind of crazy, but uh, that's kind of another reason why I started what I did is because I'm like, yeah, I know how much you can make it coaching, but like, it doesn't need to be 40k. <laughs> doesn't. But if you're serving enough people, you can easily make 40 grand a month. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think the and important thing about these masterminds too is it's all about how us as we take in that information as we take action with it right so i can go to a mastermind as long as i'm doing the thing that they're teaching and as long as it's good valuable information i'm absolutely getting value out of it price aside like yeah as long as you're taking action and being consistent with it you'll see results 
Yeah. And, and one thing I want to add, uh, one thing that pushed me to do something in Investor Thrive was the fact that I don't really learn through videos. I, ha I have over thou like thousands and thousands of videos and I probably watch like 10% of them just because I don't, I don't want to learn that way. I'd rather just go and like you said, take action. So I figured at Investor Thrive, like, let me do calls like pretty much daily where I'm calling people. I can call your leads. We can provide value to you that way. And I thought that was like, Maybe not everybody learns that way, but that's how I learned. So I was like, let me make that. And it's exciting because we have calls every day where we're, we're doing deals. Very cool. Well, Nathan, we're getting to the point of the show where we're going to start wrapping, wrapping down. Nick, did you want to ask anything before we get to that point? I wanted to say the same thing. I, I know Nathan's got to go here soon, so let's let's uh, wrap it up. Yeah, yeah, we definitely appreciate your time and for coming on today. Uh, but we do a couple wind down questions. We're just going to run through with you. So the first one is: if you had an investing or business book that you recommend every single person read, what would that be? Uh, I'd really like Think and Grow Rich. That's helped me a ton with my mindset. I love it. It's good stuff. Um, the next one is if you had $30 million just gifted into your bank account, what's the first thing you would spend it on? Oh man, that's such a good question. Um, I have everything I need now. Maybe I, maybe a cabin in Canada. That's where I'm at right, <laughs> right now. I am <laughs> in Canada with my wife and we've always wanted like a little, like a cabin to like hang out at when we come visit. That's so cool. I love it. Um, what advice would you give to newer real estate investors looking for their first or maybe even their second deal? Uh, what I teach and what I recommend for everyone is find your buyers first. Do not just start marketing and trying to find a deal because you pro most likely don't know what a deal is. Uh, so go find a buyer and then find out what their criteria is and go find them a deal. Awesome. And then uh, last question for you, Nathan. How do you define success? Uh being able to sleep at night, being able to sleep, have a good night's sleep, kind of like we've talked about this episode. Like if you wake up every day excited for what you're about to do, like that's success. And I wake up every day, I'm pumped to, to grow the, the, the business, grow, do what I'm doing. That's good stuff, man. That's probably the best answer I've heard. <laughs> Appreciate it. And then, um, so real quick though, where can people find you and uh, find out more about your information or find out more about your mastermind you teach? Uh, InvestorThrive.com is where people can go and check it out, sign up, learn more. YouTube, I, I do. If you want to see if you vibe with me or if you like what I have to say, go to YouTube. I pretty much record everything I do when it comes to the business. So if you watch it and you're like, I don't like this guy, probably probably won't like me. So <laughs> YouTube and InvestorThrive.com. I love it. Good stuff. Well, Nathan, thank you so much for coming on today. We definitely appreciate it. Uh, we're going to put all your information in the show notes too when this comes out so everybody can click and find you and uh, hopefully maybe get you some uh, new people in your funnel. Let's do it. And hey, you guys also got to hop on my podcast. I don't know if you've already signed up for... No, no you did sign up for a time. Perfect. Uh, yes, I did. Not Jeremy yet. Okay, good. Well, there you go. You both. I love it. All right. Thank you, Nathan. Thanks for being here. I appreciate it. And I just know, uh, I, I know your business is going to take off because obviously you're a man that's consistently doing things every day. Um, so just keep it up, stay consistent and you'll get there. Hey man, I appreciate it. I appreciate you guys. And if there's anything I can do to help you guys out too, you let me know. All right. Awesome. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. All right. Have a nice day.